Hi, this is Martin Fowler, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am your co-host today, Troy Lightfoot, and with me, I have the wonderful, amazing Mr. Andy Clef. Hello, Andy. Troy, it is great to be here with you. It's been way too long. I've missed chatting, jamming with you, so I'm looking forward to whatever this episode brings out, hopefully the yeah. best, the best in both of us. <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny is Andy doesn't really even know what this episode is about. So basically I said, hey, who wants to record a podcast that's called um, We're All Wrong About Little's Law? And Andy was like, yes. That's, <laughs> that's the extent that's of what he knows about this podcast. Right. And, and so you may have some ideas and I'm coming in cold and hot. Yeah. Uh, because I, I have some ideas and I'd love to share okay. with Betty on, on how I perceive Little's Law, um, how I use it for okay. personal as well as team practice. Okay. And uh, let's explore all the places that I'm wrong. Oh, oh I'm, I'm not saying you're, I, the, the we're all wrong as it's meant to be a, an, an inclusionary. <laughs> Yes, I'm saying. I, 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 I get it, and, and and so there there is there is uh, an opportunity when we the global we are wrong, right. we can accept it, right? Yep. right. Wrong. Oh well. Yeah. Uh, we can also unpack it and find the gift in there. It's like you know, yeah. where things are rarely one, zero or a hundred, right? So right. Right. where right. where are we on that scale? We again being collective, um, and the the gift is great. We move in one direction, right? Greater well, or less. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Andy. I agree. So, normally, when people talk about Little's Law, it's presented in one format, and at least in a lot of trainings I've either conducted myself uh, prior to training for Pro Kanban or um, or have been to where they talk about Little's Law, usually there's a slide, right? And a slide will say, hey, here's a formula. And, you know, that's a lot of times that's the extent of it. They just try to get you to think about the, the idea of the formula, right? But it's always presented in a, in a manner which, how should I put it, is mathematically true. And it's it's in the it's in the word law, right? So so for those for those who don't know, okay. So you might be saying, maybe I I don't know how many people out listening to this don't know what Little's Law is, but at least the basic understanding of it. But in case you don't, or in case you do, but you're not totally sure, uh, we'll just cover it real quick. So what we know it as in the I'm going to call it agile community uh, is one formula. Um, which states that your average work in progress, uh, excuse me, your average cycle time is equal to your average work in progress divided by your average throughput. And and that's the form that most people think about. And so yeah. there is an assumption there, right? And that assumption 
And I'm not saying you have ever followed this assumption, Andy, but I have seen this kind of trail in the community. The assumption is that you can plug numbers in there and it should work. Have you ever seen that or have you ever thought about that or seen anyone do that before? Back up a little bit. So so sometimes the discussion is, well, what do you mean by cycle time? What do you mean by whip? What do you mean by throughput? Um, I, and I've seen it presented as lead time, Mm. um, lead time is whip divided by throughput and people are like, okay. Um, and sometimes that conversation about lead time versus cycle time is informative. Mm. So for me, it is the, 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 when the request to do something comes into the system to when it leaves the system, right? Okay. Is that how? Ah, so it's it's nuanced, right? Sure. Um, because we're question looking for you, Andy. The question overall for you. Queue. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Overall queue. Something enters the queue when it leaves the queue. That's, gotcha. that's the lead time, and there may be in little cycles in the middle. But you're right. It's always it's averages. Right. So a few, few things to unpack there. Number one, have you ever had someone give you an estimate on something to do at your house, right? Like, for example, someone's going to come and paint your house or fix something at your house or install something, right? When they say lead time, what do they mean? (laughs) Typically cycle time. When I show up with the buckets of paint till I give you the invoice. When I start the work. Yeah, it'll take me about three days. Right. So that's interesting that you had that interpretation because I have spoken to people in that industry and actually multiple industries that have to do with people that come to your house and do stuff, right? Uh, And a lot of times on the phone, they'll say, well, the lead time is three weeks or two months. And what they mean is the time when we place the order so the time they arrive at the house. Yeah, right. Right. So the reason I'm saying that, Andy, okay, is because the word lead time means like 50 different things to 50 different people. Yeah, that's the cycle time. So in, in right. Little's Law, what does it mean? From Okay, good it, question. Good question. Entered right, the queue so, to left the queue? So um, cycle time, actually, if you read Dr. Little's original white paper, He doesn't mention the word lead time. Uh, He talks about cycle time. The amount of time something takes uh, really until it exits the system. And if you could think about it, the amount of time it takes from something has started till something is finished. Now, you may say, well, what do you consider started? What do you consider finished? Good question. It's irrelevant. Basically, (laughs) you define whatever you consider your starting point, right, is. And you define whatever you consider your endpoint is, and that is called the cycle time. Cool. And, and so that's your queue, right? It enters the queue. Right. Start. It leaves the queue. It is finished. Right. Right. Cool. So that's so that's why it's like cycle time could mean between any two points that you want to give it, right? So he's Work. basically saying, well, he's not saying that because the one of the reasons I'm having this podcast. It's because actually what we think of, of Little's Law is actually not technically Little's Law. So yeah. Little's Law, I'm going to read this verbatim so I don't butcher it just in case, but 
um, that the long-term average number of customers in a stationary system, and you can equate customers to like work items, right? The long-term average number of customers or work items in a stationary system is equal to the long-term average arrival rate multiplied by the average wait time that a customer spends in the system or an item spends in the system. So there's no division. So think about that. This is actually what Little's lost. So you have the average number of items in the system is equal to the average rate that it's coming into the system multiplied by the average wait time. That is Little's law. So mathematically, first, yes, it's equivalent. It's depending equivalent on only if five assumptions are true, which all right. it talks about. Okay, so now we're getting to why I'm having this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for, for me, when I when I look at my equation, right, um, and it's mathematically the same, right? A equals B times C. Uh, B equals A divided by C. S same equation. Well, actually, Andy, it's not the same equation. Oh, damn. My head is going to start hurting. All right. All right. Listen, listen. I want to so think more. about what we what we think Little's Law is. The average wait time is equals average width divided by, excuse me, yeah. divided by the average throughput. The throughput is not the arrival rate. The throughput is the departure rate, right? So Little's Law states that the average number of items in your system is equal to your average arrival rate multiplied by your average wait time. So no departure rates. So it's not throughput is what I'm saying. Got it. Okay. So therefore, the equation is different. So how did we get to this thing? <laughs> we talk about agile space. <laughs> and what they said, what the companies basically said was, look, that's cool and all, but we care about the departure rate. We care about how fast we can do things, right? So they actually said, Little basically modified his formula. He said, okay, we can include departure rates only if there's five caveats that have to be true. Five assumptions are true. And if these five assumptions are true, at that point, then you can use that formula, right? So the first assumption, Number one is that the, is the average arrival rate is equal to the average departure rate. Ah, we're at the airport now. Okay. Yes. Now you I want you to land think, if you can't take off. Good, now, and you nailed it, Andy. That is exactly right. So, Andy, why don't you explain what you mean by that to the folks at folks at home? Have you ever been on a plane and you're told we're going to push back now? Um, because we've now met our metric of <laughs> quote left the gate on time, right? Um, or we're going to sit on the runway because yes. we're waiting for a landing spot in our destination. We're not allowed to take off if we can't if we don't have a confirmed landing spot. You can't depart yes. if you can't arrive. So they that's trying. To that's cue number one. They are trying to match their arrival and departure rates. The rate at which you're starting things is the same rate you're finishing things on average. That is assumption number one. Every so 
Wait, hold on a second. Every backlog I looked at violates that assumption. Correct. Every every product owner in our space, every product manager knows the requests are coming in. Pick a number: two, ten, a hundred times yes. faster than the available departure rate. Okay, number two of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, number one is the mo- number one and number um, four are the most important. So let's stop at number one for one more second. So what this is saying is in order for Little's Law of Math to be true, okay, your average, now it's not exact, right? It is an average because law, Little's Law is a relationship of averages, that the average arrival rate is always 100% of the time equal to your average departure rate. If it's any, if it's at any time not the same, then the math doesn't work. Okay. So that's number one. So the the idea that you can plug numbers in to Little's Law and get some kind of actual useful information out of it is, a number one, a complete fallacy in our world. All right. That that's cool. Um, in, yes. my, in, in, in my defense, I you know yes. I've never attempted to put numbers in. I've always used it as a explanation of why high whip is part of the problem with this system. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you're not wrong about that, Andy. There is ways to to, to for us to utilize it, of course. But the First thing is to understand like how a lot of us don't fully understand what it is and what it takes to be true. And that's very important because the assumptions, Dr. Little calls his assumptions, he calls that his definition of a stable system. A stable, predictable system. One which is so stable and predictable that the math works. Think about it that way. So when we talk about system stability, and predictable systems. We're actually talking about the five Little's Law assumptions. That's what he's talking about. So, right. number one, number two, all tasks entering the system will eventually exit the system once once completed. That's number two. Wait, isn't? Oh, so you don't abandon work? Is that the key point there? Because that sounds like a sub condition of arrival equals departure. Yes. So basically it's saying, it's assuming that if you bring something into your system, it will finish. Like it just won't disappear, basically. Okay. What did that say? Yeah. Got it. So um, that's number one. That's that's an easy one. Number three, there should be no large variances in WIP between the beginning and at the end of the time period examined. So you're basically, your WIP variation should be very low at all times. Should be consistent work in progress flow. Number four, though, and this is the this is the kicker for most people. Well, number one is really the kicker, but number, <laughs> number four, one, sorry. number one is a kicker. Two, nothing disappears yeah. in the system. Yeah, I'm not gonna fail on that. And no large variances. <laughs> so so it gets worse, Troy, is what you're saying. All right. Give us the no kicker. Whip. Number four. So we'll go to number five because number five is easy. I'll get that out of the way. Consistent units must be used to measure cycle time, whip, and throughput. Meaning that you're just going, you can't use days in one account and use seconds in the other one. And use like you have to use the same units of measure. Okay, so okay. that's number. That, five. That's easy. Okay, so number four, the whip average age. Okay, so now we're talking about the age of the items in progress. Yeah. Okay, yeah. should remain the same. 
neither increasing nor decreasing. The average age of every single thing in your system should not change. Dr. Law, I, I'm not going to use your law anymore. Dr. Little. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> These conditions are just too constraining for me. Well, what I'm saying is, for when people talk about Little's Law with the formula, the average wait time equals yeah. the average whip divided by the average throughput, these five things have to be true in order for that formula to actually mean any, be meaningful. For, for the math to work. Yes. Are they necessary so, for yes. the concept to be valid? In the theory, you're right. I mean, the theory is true. So one of the... There is the point of Little's Law, the way we really use it, right, is that the relationships between the metrics, really, that's the important thing. Yes. And the what's interesting about this, though, is that the more the assumptions are true, because they're never going to be true all the time, right? But the more the assumptions are true, the more stable your system is, and the more the relationship between the metrics matters. That's what people, that is the kind of magic behind Little's Law. So understanding assumptions is the key to making it work. So for example, if you can focus on getting average arrival and departure rates, right? If you can do that, you will have a very stable system. And now I'm not saying that's all you need to do to improve, but I'm saying that is kind of the first go-to. That's the first assumption. If you can get, so if you can think about on average, you start a certain amount of things a week or every two weeks or every month and on on average, you finish that same amount. You would have a very stable and predictable system, right? And you can right. see the those averages uh, actually in uh, a cumulative flow diagram. So, yep. If you if you zoom in at any uh, point on a on a CFD, the CFD any good CFD will be able to draw you the rate lines, your average arrival rates and your departure rate lines, and it will show you um, the number actually. And when and they're yeah, when they're parallel, you have a stable system. Yes. And so that is Little's Law Assumption number one. So basically it's saying, so if you think about number one and number four, remember I said those were two most important. Item age, right? Yeah, let's so, look at that. So the age of the item is the biggest predictor of number one. So number four is a leading indicator for number one. So basically it is, <clears throat> if you focus on not allowing things to age every day, like if you actively focus on your item age and don't allow things to unnecessarily age, then you will control your whip by doing that. You will also control the, um, the arrival and departure rate because the number one way of not allowing things to age is by finishing it. And number two way of not allowing things to age is not start something. So basically the way you control item age is to finish things and not start things. <laughs> Essentially, that is the two easiest ways to control item age in a system. So that is that equates to performance or or correlates basically to a little low's law assumption number one, which is about our average arrival and departure rates. So work item age. There's a quote. I I'm, I apologies for the person that said this quote. I'll try to find the the name of the person because it's a really good quote. I'll put it in the, in the show notes. But the quote is um, predictability is a verb. It's not something that happens. It's something you have to do every day. I love it. And the only way you become predictable is by actively practicing these things every day, thinking about the little law assumptions, whether thinking about it consciously or subconsciously because you just know the concepts behind it. But basically, focus on work item age, focus on whip, and 
think about those things all the time and control your average arrival and departure rate. Yes, Sandy, go ahead. So, so a key to that you began to talk about and uh, listener, um, you can phone in. Our number is uh, (laughs) 1-800-AGILE-UPRISING. Finish before starting. That's that's another key. Every day. Because I saw something recently float past on the social social feed about higher whip invites even higher whip. And it's this vicious loop that uh, when your whip is high, responsiveness in the system starts to go down. Uh, so you, there's wait time starts to go up and you're tempted to start something else, which guess right. what increases the whip, yada, yada, yada. And that then your arrivals increase, 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 and your departures decrease, decrease. And sooner or later, come back to our early story, uh, your airport grinds to a halt. Yes. Good, good observation, Andy. You are dead on. And in fact, the reason why I wanted to have this podcast after my last podcast that I had with uh, Jay, which was really about, well, there was about two things really, but number well, one, that th- three things, the, the, the two in your head, I know the third is you actually wanted to have a meaningful conversation with somebody, which right, is, right. you know, sometimes hard to do with Jay. Right. <laughs> right. So, I love you, Jay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So yeah, so the idea, the the premise of the episode was that prior the act the act of prioritizing is fine, but the actual prioritization doesn't mean doesn't mean a whole lot because you don't actually know how valuable something is until you've delivered it. So the idea is that you place the smallest bets possible to go see if you won or not, see if you're right or wrong about your prioritization, right? So it's all about splitting things smaller, right? Splitting things into smaller valuable chunks and enabling flow like fast. So you, you need a system which is fast, right? Which isn't stuck, which which has this type of stability, right? We're talking about. So that's why like this whole concept of Little's Law assumptions, system stability and flow is kind of one of the keys to product management because Product management is all about trying to maximize the value of what you're doing, right? Yeah. And so this to assume that you know the value up front is a fallacy. It's just you don't know. Like literally, it's impossible to know what the value of something is up front. Unless someone is saying, I am going to pay you X amount of money if you do this. In that case, you do know the value. Otherwise, you don't. Let's let's talk a bit about batch size and how that plays in there. So, sure. so my understanding is fuzzy. But in Little's Law, um, there's the assumption or belief or truth that size of work item doesn't matter because it's average, right? There's always that, you know, does it matter if they're big or small? And, and I remember reading somewhere in Little's Law, no, it's it, the, the size of the thing you're working on does, is nowhere in the equation, small, medium, no. and large. Yet we've touched on something making small bets, which in my mind means that you're working on the smallest batch size as possible, right? Or or maybe that's connected to the whip. What are your well, thoughts? Well, okay. Sometimes the smallest batch size is not necessarily the best sometimes because it might be so small, it's hard to get any value out of it, right? So there is a, a trade-off, right, with the batch size and that. Andy, to your question, 
about item size and batch sizes, right, in Little's Law. If you think about Little's Law assumption number four, which is that the average, the whip average age should remain the same, neither increasing nor decreasing. If you so it's really talking about focusing on item age, the age that how when something the cycle time of something starts, like the clock starts, whatever you're considering started. It's aging every single minute, second, hour, day, whatever, right? So let's just use days in our in our world, for example. How do you know if your batch size is even correct? If you've chosen a small batch size, you you could think that you have a small batch size, yet you're, it could age very, very poorly, right? It could become very old. And what, what that means is that maybe you haven't split it as well as you could have, for example, right? So one of the uh, things we talked about with Jay last week was that the only looking at WIP as a leading indicator for performance is kind of uh, uh, a deception. And the reason for that is because WIP doesn't really take into account the size of the item, meaning that you could have a WIP of two, right? Imagine you had a a scrum team, for example, and you had they said, hey, we're only going to work at two stories at a time. We're going to have the smallest, like super low whip. Okay. And meanwhile, there takes them forever to do anything. They they miss their goals and et cetera, right? Well, what if that whip of two was actually 10 stories, right? What if it was, what if that two items could be broken into five different items a piece, right? That were valuable. Then just going by whip, it's not really good enough. In fact, that can get you in trouble because it seems like you have a low whip. But meanwhile... It could take a long time to to get to something. So the one way you would know whether your whip is even valuable or not as a metric, and if you've sized things correctly, is by item age. Because what you do is every day, you would look at the age of the item, and you would say, this thing is another day older. Now it's five days old. Now it's seven days old. What's going on? Is it too big? What's It's not blocked. What's happening? Oh, well. It's just taken forever to do it because it's too big, right? Oh, maybe we should split it, right? And it's like, so that's why item age is the key metric to being able to control your whip and to, to have a, a really stable system, actually. And so when you when you use the item age to think about the size of things and cycle time retroactively, kind of you can look at it that way, too. Then you can learn about, okay, we should be splitting things smaller. Now, you obviously uh, are an excellent uh, agile coach you've probably taught people how to split things a million you know, million ways for years and so for you and for me i've been doing it too you know it, it comes kind of natural to us to to be able to split things to small pieces of value but that's not the case for people who haven't been that's not their focus for years right so right. one of the ways is by looking at item age cool. daily it's not like it's something you actually have to do all the time so there's this idea that people have, especially in Scrum, that if you started something, right, that you shouldn't split it once. It, I've heard people say that. They'll say, oh, well, we sized it as an eight, right? Okay. And then they start it and they realize they're not going to be able to finish it or it's going to take way too long. But they don't want to split it because they think that they're not going to get credit or something for a, uh, an eight-point story or whatever right the truth is that that thing is aging you should split it because the longer it ages the more complex it is and the more unknowns about how long it will take to even do the longer it keeps aging so it's better to make it a smaller size and then finish the individual pieces yes go ahead yeah the key flag for me is 
hearing, we won't get credit for it. Uh, and I got to look at the incentive to get credit for something uh, <laughs> as a, there's something to examine here. I, w- I want to talk more about how we measure item age. Um, is it okay. from arrival to departure? Is it from when we actually started to to do work on it till when we finish work? How does how does that get calculated? Whatever you consider your cycle time, starter number, starting state, I should say. So, for example, some teams might consider something not started until they have actually started doing, they brought it into a sprint if you're doing Scrum, for example, right? Hey, we've picked it up. It's now on our sprint backlog, and now we started working on it. Okay, we'll start the cycle time. That's one way of doing it, right? Other teams will have like a pull system. And, it, and then whenever it's like in the committed to queue or up next or whatever the first state is, ready queue or active state, it's really up to you as a team how you determine the starting point. But basically you say, what is our start point and what is our finish point? Like you define those things and then you start the clock there. Yes, Andy. So I'm curious because there's another thing that I look at in terms of backlog health. Yeah. And, and I've been calling it item age. It is. Okay. From the date the ticket was created to the date yep. it was closed. So a ticket could sit in a backlog for a pick any calendar a year. The team could pick it up, close it in two days. What is the item age? Two days <laughs> or a year? Right. Well, you, nobody said you can only have one start and end date, start and end point. So you can track multiple start and end points and you would have a cycle time between different start and end points. And there's different purposes for tracking them. So the purpose for tracking the one you just said, right, is a little different or a lot different than the tracking it from when you start it, like when you start actively working on it till you finish, right? Because that's going to measure how long it takes to actually do something when you started it, right? Yeah. And there's different implications there than if you measure from the time it went into the backlog until it's finished, because then there's you're talking about optimizing potentially an upstream process to the to the delivery piece, right? So you can measure both. You can measure a bunch of different start and endpoints using cycle time metrics for all that. In fact, I can show you. Um, let me share my screen and at the people at home, I will put a picture. Yeah, and while you're doing that, it comes back yeah. to the story you started to tell at the beginning because I I think both definitions are important. When you call the painter, and if he says, "Yep, it'll take me two weeks to paint your house," but is it going to take me six months to get there? How happy right. are you going to be as a customer? Right, exactly. It depends on the sense of urgency. <laughs> right. Yes. So one of the lessons there is that for a lot of people, right. You know, there's a whole move, and I, I, this whole hashtag know something to me is a little silly because it's so like it's not very pragmatic of way of doing things. But there's like this no estimates movement. There's like all this no stuff, right? There's also a no backlogs kind of movement, right? And really, it's a little bit hyperbolic. But really, what it's talking about is we don't really start considering something that we're going to do it until it gets very close to being able to pull it, right? That's kind of the idea behind it. Because otherwise, you're just going to have things sitting there for a year and how valuable is it? But anyway, let me show you one thing, Andy. If you can, you can see my screen, right? I, I can. Okay. On the this chart on the right, top right-hand side, 
I have these little check marks. And they're basically saying, this is a cycle time scatter plot, what you're looking at right here. And so these are basically saying, okay, we're considering something has started when it hits this analysis active column and done when it hits the done column. That's the first check mark and the last check mark. Okay. Yep. And you also not including right, backlog. not including the backlog, right? Right. So if you look at that, this will say that 95% of all this team's stories or work is done in 22 days or less from the time it hits analysis active to done. So they're considering their cycle time from analysis active to done. Now, yep. if I include the backlog. Okay. <laughs> right. Now it goes from 22 days to 143 days for a 95th percentile, right? Yeah. So, so there's there's good information yeah. here yeah. Or, or good data here. Um, one needs to then look at it and roll something else into it. You know, or is the team optimizing for the right thing? Correct. And I can even just put my start. So using a tool like this, Andy, I can even just mess around with my start and end points and it'll give me the cycle time for any two points. So for example, I can just see the cycle time from when it is in the backlog to when it's just started being worked on. Exactly. For example, right? And this is 135. And then if I include everything, this 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 obviously gives me and so if I just wanted to see cycle time from how long is it taking just to do from dev only, right? I can see that. I can see so what I'm saying is is you just define your start and end points. And then you can track cycle time from there. And Little's Law will, from a measurement perspective, right? Little's Law is saying the average uh, cycle time. And so really, it de depends on how you define it. But it is true. It's just saying your whip and your throughput, right? So you can think about any of these points. There's whip and throughput in and along the way, right? Between any of these points. So the one thing I wanted to, before we go, the one thing I want to leave people with, just in case, um, Dr. Little said that you cannot use his formula, even if all the assumptions are true, by the way. One that you, can, you cannot use his formula for forecasting. You cannot use it for something that will happen in the future. So therefore, you can't say, what is our throughput going to be in the future? Like you can't plug numbers into the formula and try to figure out what your cycle time will be or what your throughput will be. Because he said that his formula is only retroactive. It's only for looking at past performance. That's how it's useful. So there's a couple takeaways there. If you've ever, if anybody at home has ever tried to do that, number one, that's a violation of just well, how, what would the, it, it just doesn't work is what number one, I mean, it mathematically doesn't work. Number two, the uh, using averages for forecast is uh, maybe we'll have another episode on that, but that's a big no-no. There's a there's a book called um, The Flaw of Averages by a guy named Dr. Sam Savage, which basically just shows mathematically why when you use averages for plans and forecasts, why it goes horribly wrong. And anyway, so there's many reasons. So even if Dr. Little did say you could you could do it, uh, you wouldn't want to use an average anyway. But even he said himself that his formula is not to be used for future looking. It's only to be used retrospectively. So that's just something to think about. So what you could do is if all your assumptions were correct, right? Now, there are cases when you can control all those things, but just not in our world, like not in our, not in the software development world. Right. If everything was machines, right, and you had a 
a manufacturing line and you can control all the aspects of all this stuff, right? Like how many things are started versus finishing all this stuff, right? Then it starts to make sense how you could start using the math and you could say, well, what would have happened to our cycle time if we would have been able to have less things at a time or or what if we added more machines here? Would we be able to get our the amount of things at a time throughput? Would that change and all this? Stuff? So you can use it, think about it that way, but not in the future. So that's one thing I wanted to say. So Troy, um, yeah. the TLDR is we <laughs> we've been using it wrong, but do you have a <laughs> an alternative? Because I have found the concept so useful in explaining why limiting whip is so powerful for creative knowledge workers. Sure. So yes. So the 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 best, in my opinion, the best use of it is to number one, understand what it is, as you're talking about, right? Understand the relationship between the metrics, what those metrics act, act, actually are. And then understanding how to make the relationships matter more. And that is the underlying assumptions. That is the more stable and unpredictable your system is, the more lowering your whip will uh, correlate with a lower cycle time. If you have a very unpredictable system, it won't matter all that much. So that's kind of the whole point of it. So really it is, it is, um, it's about understanding the assumptions. That's the key, especially number one and number four, which is the average arrival and departure rates and the average work item age being the same. Awesome. And if you're curious about work item age, um, anybody at home, what I'll do is I will put a screenshot in the, um, what I'm about to show Andy real quick before we get out of here, I will put this exact, um, aging work. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to move the colors cause this is confusing for people a lot of times without explaining it. But the idea is that, um, you, you don't need this chart, by the way. You don't need this exact chart to do what I'm going to do. It's just this chart is fancy for people. Uh, but basically, you on the y-axis is the item age, how long something has started but not yet finished, again, depending on what your start point is, and and how long it's existed. So, for example, I can see this item. This item is currently 12 days old, and it's in this dev active state. And I can even see how long it's been in each state, and et cetera, right? The idea is that... Every day we want to focus on, if you don't have this chart, you just focus on the item age, regardless of what chart you use. If you don't even need a chart to focus on the item age, you can simply just track how old something is, right? Very simply. Um, I have even used stickers. So yeah, you put it on on a physical board, a a dot on the board in the column right? um, for how long it's been whatever dove I even dev done yeah. waiting for our testing you, yep. you nailed it right i even used i created my own years ago i created my own scrum board which was an item age scrum board because you know a lot of the, the typical scrum workflow is just to do doing done right yeah. that's like the, the typical one so what i did was i said okay i'm not going to change this but what i'm going to do is i'm going to have doing less than three days doing between three and five days and then doing more than five days it's one column just split in three and then like you're having a daily stand up and oh it's more it's it's more than three days old it just goes into the next version of doing it's really and then the we same talk thing about it. this but go ahead yeah. but but there's there's also a potential trap there there's okay. pros and cons to all this approach and it comes back to 
um, what you're trying to improve, uh, whether it's a subsystem like a team sprint or a larger system, and I have a short story to share. Sure. We we were supporting a a team that was helping their internal customers move from their own data center to cloud. And okay. so part of that is take a request for a container that had certain characteristics, build the container and give it over to the client or the, the end user. And okay. this team was very happy because they were looking at their own system, their item age, and they had improved their internal processes, their internal review, their resilience as a team. And they're like, God, it used to take us a full day to get this, to process this request. Yay us. We cut it in half. We can now mm. do it in four hours. And they and they shared this as part of a larger program review. Mm -hmm. And uh, a stakeholder um, spoke up <laughs> and said, that's, that's really great. I, I love that you got it from eight hours to four hours. Why is my ticket 12 weeks old. Mm. So if you zoom back and you and you consider the age from when, again, to your painter analogy, when I first called the painter and said, do you paint houses? Yes, I do. Right. I have five rooms. Awesome. How long will it take? Four hours. How much will it cost? Great. How long will it take you to get here? Six months. Click. <laughs> I'm calling... <laughs> But but when you're in an in-house system and you're optimizing for can we get painting houses down from a day to half a day so right. that we can do two a day, it's great. Right. Unless you're unless your average wait time to get to the house stays at six months because you have you're, no capacity. Yeah. So you so it's it, yeah. really important to to optimize the whole. And, yes. and not optimize a subsystem. So, you know, when you look at the average age, figure out what you want to improve. Uh, quick summary. There, there's nothing wrong with Little's Law. Little's Law is perfectly fine. Okay, number one. Uh, Little's Law, as Dr. Little created it, is not what we typically teach people Little's Law is. Uh, he changed the formula to meet kind of what we're looking for. But there are five key assumptions that have to be true in order for it to, to work. And understanding the assumptions is the key to understanding system stability and predictability. And that will correlate with stronger um, correlations between those flow metrics, whip, cycle time, and throughput, the more the, the, the more stable your system is. So that's kind of the summary of the podcast. All right. Well Thank you, Andy. I, I had a good time. Yeah, this was great. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you and bouncing ideas around for listeners if you like this show give us a review a rating some comments on your podcast platform of choice if you want to talk more about little's law uh, arrivals departures getting your house painted uh, etc meet us on our discord server it's very lively i forget the count we've got a couple of hundred folks um, yeah we'd love to have you there and to help us offset our podcast and hosting costs, we have a patron account. Check our show notes for details and links to all these things, plus visuals for the things that Troy and I shared on screen. Until next time. <laughs>